Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. It's December. (laughs) My daughter has been counting down the days until Christmas for a while now, um, and now it's actually the right month. Uh, Whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate this time of year, I hope that you are still safe and well and doing what you can to care for others. Wear your mask. Um, All right, now I'll take off my MPH hat and put my BA hat back on. It's it's another Odyssey day today. We're up to book 14. Odysseus is home, sort of, not really. If having reached Ithaca can be counted as being home, um, then he's home. Uh, And I think you'll agree as we go along that he still has a lot to take care of before he can really feel like he's home. When we last left off, Athena had transformed Odysseus into an old beggar and then flown off to take care of Telemachus. Book 14 continues following Odysseus as he wends his way from the shore to the palace. Following Athena's advice, Odysseus seeks out his old swineherd, Eumaeus. He plies his trade up in the hills, far from both the place where Penelope lives um, and the place where Laertes lives. He has grown the herd to 360, which that seems like a lot of pigs to me. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I somehow don't think that the farm my dad grew up on had 360. That just seems huge. Anyway, um, and is helped by four boys and four dogs. Uh, those dogs are not impressed when Odysseus approaches, um, and Eumaeus has to scare them off to prevent them from tearing the stranger to pieces. Eumaeus kindly invites him in, offering what meager hospitality he can afford. When Odysseus thanks him, Eumaeus replies that travelers and beggars are sent by Zeus, so they should always be received graciously. Even if the gods aren't always kind to humans. I mean, it's clearly because of the gods that his master, Odysseus, hasn't returned yet. Eumaeus prepares a couple of pigs, barley, and wine, of course. As Odysseus eats, Eumaeus tells him uh, what's been happening at the palace, how the suitors have overrun the place, and how they demand the best of his boars every single day. So it's really impressive that there are still 360 left, I'm just saying. Um, I wonder how many there were before the suitors showed up. From Eumaeus' description, it's not exactly as though new animals are being raised faster than the suitors are eating them. I mean, they, they are literally eating away all of the supplies in Ithaca. Odysseus feigns ignorance and asks Eumaeus about this master who has gone missing. Eumaeus raves about how awesome Odysseus is and how much he misses him and mourns his loss. And Odysseus suggests that maybe he isn't dead. Eumaeus pats him on the head and says, Oh, that's a sweet thought. But then he speaks of Telemachus and how he's turned into such a nice young man. Except, of course, he got it into his head to go to Pylos, and now the suitors are lying in wait to kill him. But there's no sense in dwelling on things one can't control. So Eumaeus moves the conversation to his guest. Who are you? Where are you from? Instead of saying, surprise, I'm Odysseus, Odysseus builds on the tale from book 13, the one he told Athena before he knew that she was Athena. He's from Crete. His father was rich, but his mom was a slave. But his father treated him like a legitimate son. He loved fighting, so he chose to go off to war instead of settling at home. So when the option came to go to Troy, of course he went. Uh, But after he got home, he wasn't content, so he went to fight in Egypt, and it did not go well. 
But he begged the king for mercy, and the king helped him escape. So he decided to stay in Egypt for a year or seven. Then this Phoenician came along and talked him into going to Libya. But Zeus sent down a storm and sunk their ship, and everyone died except for him. Um, he floated for nine days, and on the tenth, he washed up on the shore of Thesprotia, where the king Phaedon took him in. And Phaedon gave him word of Odysseus. He'd been there and left a treasure load of gifts, and Phaedon offered Odysseus, well, not the beggar Odysseus, right, passage home. Um, but the sailors dressed him in rags, tied him up, and dropped him off on the beach on Ithaca. So now he's stuck here. Eumaeus says that he believes everything except for the Odysseus part. Um, he's not so sure that part is true. It is clear that Odysseus died on his way home with no honor and no glory because you don't die with honor and glory if you're killed in a shipwreck. But whatever. Whether or not this stranger speaks the truth, he's still a guest and protected by Zeus and deserves to be treated with respect. Odysseus accuses Eumaeus of being too suspicious. He proposes a bet. If Odysseus returns, then the swineherd can give the beggar new clothes and ship him off to Dulichion, which he always thought was kind of a nice place. Uh, but if Odysseus doesn't return, then the swineherd can hurl the beggar from the mountains. Eumaeus does not rise to this bait. He will not take a bet that includes the possibility of murder. They have supper, and if you guessed it was pork, you'd be right. After they cook and sacrifice and eat, they sit around the fire talking, and Odysseus starts complaining about the cold. He isn't really cold, but he wants to see what Eumaeus will do. He tells the story of one night in Troy when winter came on hard, and it was freezing. But he, the fake beggar, hadn't expected it to get so cold, so he was severely underdressed. So he, he nudged Odysseus, um, you know, who, for the purposes of this story, is that different person, um, and commented on the cold, and Odysseus shushed him and then called out that he was worried about how far they are from the ships and someone should tell Agamemnon. And sure enough, someone jumped up and dropped his cloak before running off with the message. And Odysseus gave that cloak to the beggar. Eumaeus says it's a good story, but he has bad news. New clothes are in short supply. Everyone has one outfit, so no one has one to spare. Uh, but when Telemachus gets home, he'll make sure the beggar gets a new cloak, tunic, whatever he needs. But this is only mostly true. Eumaeus makes up a bed for Odysseus and covers him with his spare cloak. Odysseus goes to sleep, and the four boys go to sleep. But Eumaeus, Eumaeus stays awake, keeping watch over his herd. And that is the end of book 14. This book is a lot about truth, honesty. There are many parallels in this book with the books uh, about the Phaeacians. The food, the storytelling, and this stranger who we know is Odysseus telling a story about where he comes from. Um, and there are some threads that overlap with the other stories we've seen Odysseus tell. Um, so we have to wonder where the truth lies. Um, we know that he's making up the story he tells Eumaeus. We know that he's Odysseus and he's from Ithaca. So we know the whole Crete thing is made up. He's 
not some bastard son from Crete, right? But but what about the Egypt thing? Um, and it, this is an interesting story that he chooses to tell because we've already heard Menelaus tell Telemachus about the seven years he and Helen spent in Egypt on their way home from Troy. Um, so what threads of truth do we see in the story Odysseus tells Eumaeus? Um, and does that change what we might think um, of as truth in the story he tells the Phaeacians? Um, and this bending of the truth we even see in Eumaeus. Um, no one has an outfit to spare, but it turns out he does have an extra winter cloak to cover up the stranger. So we can see that there are not necessarily even little white lies, but they're just half-truths and untrue. I mean, what, what, are, what are straight-up lies? What are, what are just bending the facts um, that we see throughout, throughout this book? Um, so what other things did book 14 make you think of? How are you feeling about Odysseus these days? <laughs> Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Monday, we will read Plautus's Truculentus. <laughs> Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.